Our sermon text is from Exodus, starting in chapter 10, and we'll be going, uh, reading 10:21 through chapter 11. Uh, we have fortuitously been going through the plagues um, in this season, fortuitously or unfortuitously, I don't know. Um, this week, I had the experience of going into our attic for, our, for the first time, uh, which may not sound significant, but our attic is... Um, when I basically I went up there and had put up some boxes and went to turn on the light switch and nothing happened and the light bulb the socket was on the other side of the attic and so I took my flashlight was walking across our pitch black attic and the whole time thinking okay something's about to jump out at me something's about to jump out at me knowing that that wasn't going to happen but just those irrational fears that come up in darkness expecting a voice from the shadows or something. Um, so I got across, changed out the light bulb. Um, because I had flipped the switch on the other side, uh, the attic shone with light, and it was a, walking back across our attic was a completely different experience because now there was light. All those fears went away. I think there, we know darkness heightens our fears in a way that nothing else does. And I think it's because we know intuitively that evil thrives in darkness. That whether it's the things of our, of our nightmares, the vampires that are burned by the sun, or simply human beings with a reason to hide their misdeeds, evil thrives in darkness where there's no accountability, no truth, and therefore no ability to stop it. And this ninth plague that we're reading this morning, this is what God plagues the Egyptians with. It's darkness. So we're going to uh, read our text now. If you would, please stand in respect for God's word. Exodus 10, 21 through uh, eleven ten. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve him until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague will I bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. 
Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, you can have a seat, and as you do, um, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you now to hear from your word, we ask that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies, um, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law, that you would unite our hearts in fear of your name, and that you would satisfy us with your steadfast love. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to paint a picture for you and see if it sounds familiar. Social isolation, the inability to travel like you normally would, confined to your own home, fear, psychological distress, depression. Uh, all of these have described my experience at one point or another in this pandemic, and perhaps yours as well. But I actually pulled all of those straight out of a commentary on this text, um, uh, describing what the Egyptians would have experienced as the world around them went dark for three days. As they were isolated socially, unable to travel, and as fear and depression overtook them. In these verses, the Egyptians are plagued with darkness. Um, but it's a darkness that takes three forms. And that's, as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see three forms of darkness. That's kind of how we're going we're gonna to break it up. Uh, first, there's a dark land. Second is there's a dark bargain. And then thirdly, there's a dark night. So uh, first of all, there's a, the dark land. Uh, the ninth plague begins in a familiar way. God speaks to Moses. Moses stretches out his staff, and in comes the plague. This time, darkness. And there's a few things to notice about this darkness. The first thing to notice is that it's an intense, supernatural darkness. In verse 22, it's described as pitch darkness, which you could also translate that simply as dark darkness. Uh, the author here is simply, he's saying, hey, you know darkness? Well, it's the dark version of that. 
Um, certainly, we know that the sun, moon, and stars didn't shine. Uh, but I tend to think, based on the fact that it says that they, could, they didn't see each other, I tend to think that lamps and candles and any sort of um, fires or artificial light um, what it, that they had at their time wouldn't have worked either. And the, the picture that I just can't, I can't get out of my mind is the thought of a family waking up, parents waking up to the, child, the sound of their child saying, Mama, Dada, I can't see, and then realizing that neither can they. Um, just the fear that would strike your heart in that moment um, when darkness just kept coming. That's all, that, that's all there was that was your reality. So it's this intense supernatural darkness. The second thing to notice is that there's a social dimension to this plague. Um, in verse 23, it says, they did not see one another. Uh, this phrase in Hebrew actually has the word brother in it. So it'd be kind of clunky, but it reads something like this, that they did not see a man his brother. In other words... They didn't even see those closest to them, whether physically, uh, relationally, even those who are dearest and closest to them, um, they did not see them for three days. And the third thing to, uh, to notice about this plague is that it affects the land of Egypt, but it doesn't affect where the Israelites are living. Um, and we're going to hang out here for a minute because this is significant. It tells us a lot about the nature of this darkness. Through this darkness, God is declaring that the Israelites enjoy the light of His presence, the light of His goodness and truth, and the Egyptians do not. Throughout the Bible, God is described in terms of light. So Psalm 36.9 says, In your light do we see light. 1 John 1.5, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Darkness, on the other hand, is the absence of God. For three days, the Egyptians dwelt in a land where the absence of God became a physical reality. For three days, the Egyptians dwelt in a world of physical darkness, but we spend every day of our lives in a world of spiritual darkness, in a world where the absence of God is um, in the hearts and lives of people is uh, far too often, is, is, that is the reality of the world that we live in, that the hearts of um, human beings, your heart and mine, are darkened by sin. We are born into a world of darkness, a world that loves what is evil, and we are born into it with our own hearts of darkness. Our hearts thrive in this darkness because we naturally love what is evil. Having hearts of darkness and living in a world of darkness simply means that God is not at the center of them. And so anytime you fail to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's, that's having a heart of darkness. Anytime you watch your neighbor do the same thing, you're witnessing the reality of a dark world that we live in. 
That's darkness, and that is the natural state of our hearts. Our default is to love ourselves with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to use our neighbor for our own purposes. We are creatures of darkness inhabiting a world of darkness, and the literal physical darkness that the Egyptians experienced is a picture of that fact. But the Israelites had light. Because God does not leave us in darkness, but calls us out of it. God had revealed himself to the Israelites, and so while the, the Egyptians had darkness, the Israelites had the light of his presence. And the key truth that this points us to, that this plague as a whole points us to, is that God calls us out of darkness and into his light. God calls us out of darkness, but he doesn't just call us out of darkness. He has actually sent the light to us. In John 10, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus came to earth to shine light on our darkened hearts, to wake us up to the presence of sin so that we would no longer walk in darkness, And through the light of Jesus, God calls us out of darkness. Uh, We saw in the text that uh, Jeff just read, as well as uh, in the 1 John text that I just referenced a moment ago, sort of this idea of walking in the light. And when we think about what it means to walk in the light, there's there's one sense in which what it means to walk in the light is to live righteously, to, to follow God, to put away sin. But the bigger thing, and the bigger way that we respond when God calls us out of light, is to confess our sins. Stepping into the light of God's truth means being honest about who we are and what is in our heart. And so that first John passage where it says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It goes on to say, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the path towards forgiveness, holiness, fellowship with God, true joy, it begins with confessing our sin, being honest about it. Even though we are creatures of darkness, who naturally recoil from the light, we can step into the light without fear because we know that whatever follows will be for our good and not for our judgment. So Jesus came to shine the light on our hearts, but he also came to give us the freedom to confess because we know that we'll receive grace, that that God's light is good for us. And so we, we confessed our sins together um, as a community earlier in the service. And again, part of why we do that is we believe that that's what it means to walk in light. But all of us have places that we close off to the light of God's truth. We all have areas in our lives where we, um, we don't want to acknowledge our sinfulness. Sins that we don't want to bring into the light. And so my question for you this morning would be, where are you being 
Or where are you closing off your sin, your heart, to the light of God's truth? Where are you being only half-truthful about your sin? Where are you minimizing your sin? We have a tendency to make excuses, to compare ourselves to others in order to feel better. And that's precisely the type of darkness that God calls us out of. Of, of trying to um, keep our sin in the darkness by not um, confessing it in its fullness to the depths of, um, of who we are, the reality that we are sinners. And when, we, when we minimize our sin, when we make excuses, it's a way of keeping the light from shining on our sinfulness. And God has called us out of a dark land, out of dark hearts, God eventually brings an end to the physical darkness over the land of Egypt. But the darkness in this passage doesn't end there. We see next this dark bargain that Pharaoh is making. So the darkness on the land lasts for three days. And after the three days is over, Pharaoh calls Moses into his court, into his presence. And he says, go serve the Lord. It's a really great way to start any conversation. But... It goes downhill from there. Because then he starts bargaining. Uh, and this is all in verse, starts in verse 24. He says, you know, your little ones, or yeah, you go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. But your flocks and your herds will remain behind. So Pharaoh started this bargaining prior to the, the, loc- the plague of the locusts. Where that time he's basically said, okay, the men, you guys can go and worship God. But the women and children are staying here. Uh, There is essentially, it's like when you buy a house and there's the asking price and then you come in with a lowball offer because you're trying to get the house for as cheap as you can. Well, God has given Moses the asking price and Pharaoh is coming in and he's making these counter offers seeing how low can he get the price? How little can he give up? and still bring these plagues to an end. So now he's giving a little more ground by saying that the people can go, but the livestock have to stay. But he's still not willing to meet God's demands. He's treating this like a bargain rather than an opportunity for obedience. The problem for Pharaoh is that God will get what he wants. Right, because Pharaoh makes his offer and God just counters again with the asking price. He won't accept anything except for the complete and total freeing of all his people. The reason I referred to this part of the story as a dark bargain is one, because of this bargaining that's going on and the darkness of Pharaoh's heart that we see in it, but also because of the way that this conversation ends. Um, When Pharaoh tells Moses, if I ever see your face again, I'm going to kill you. Um, That's verses 28 and 29. Pharaoh, in his darkened heart, realizes that there is no further ground he can give up without letting the Israelites go. And that's the one thing that he's not willing to do. And so, by threatening to kill Moses... He is is cutting himself off from the voice of truth. He's cutting himself off from the voice of truth that he knows is going to call him over and over to give up what he wants, to let go of control 
over the Israelites. Moses is the one person who is consistently and uh, over and over again been calling Pharaoh to obedience. And Pharaoh has had enough of it. And so he's cutting himself off from the, the word of God. One of the ways that God calls us out of darkness, into his light, into faith and obedience, is through the words of other people. And Pharaoh is closing himself off fully and finally to the one person who has been consistently shining the light of God on his heart. Did you think about areas of your life where you're closed off to God's light? Where you where you're still living in darkness, hiding your sin, a great place to start is to ask whether there are areas that are closed off to other people. Are, right, are there things in your life that no one knows about? Are there sin patterns that you've never shared with a friend or spouse or mentor? Are there areas of your life that, that are off limits? Are there things that people have learned not to bring up anymore because they know that they know how you'll react. They know that you will refuse to accept feedback on it. If you're not opening yourself up to other people, then you're probably not really being honest uh, with yourself or with God. You're probably not really letting Him in on the light, um, letting, really letting His light shine on your heart, on the darkness that's there. And I'm not saying that you need to go out right now and tell somebody all of your dirt, but uh, we need to have relationships like that. We need to have people in our lives who know the things that aren't obvious to everyone else, um, who will ask us how we're doing, because we are creatures of darkness. We love the darkness. And we, sometimes, most of the time, when we really truly step out into the light, when we encounter the true light of God's holiness, it's blinding, it hurts, and we want to recoil. And other believers can be there to give us the push we need and the encouragement to bring our sin into the light, to really address our mess and our, um, our sin. So my question is, do you have people who will help you shine Christ's light on your sin? Or have you, like Pharaoh, cut yourself off from those who would call you out of darkness? To Pharaoh has cut himself off from Moses' voice of truth. But before Moses leaves, he delivers one last message to Pharaoh. The coming of an even darker night. Uh, verses 1 through 3 are a bit of a parenthesis, where most um, they probably happened prior to this whole conversation between Moses and Pharaoh. So that verse 4, when, it says, when Moses says, thus says the Lord, he's continuing this conversation with Moses. And starting in verse 4, he tells, he tells Pharaoh that every firstborn child in the land of Egypt will die that night. And, and at the same time that the Israelites will be spared. For the first time in these plagues, there will be a loss of life that affects every single family. Everyone in Egypt will either die 
or someone they love will. This story, like the hardening of Pharaoh's heart we discussed last week, uh, it can be hard to swallow. Uh, it really raises the question of the justice of God, of how can God be just and put so many people, um, mostly if not entirely children, to death? And the answer, which can be um, hard to accept or hard to wrap our minds around, is that every single person from the moment we're born deserves death. And uh, so that the Egyptians are simply receiving the just punishment for their darkened hearts, for their rebellion and disobedience, and uh, fleeing from God for the the ways that they um, sin against God and treat other people. And really, that means the better question is, why not the Israelites? If we're all sinful, born with darkened hearts, then shouldn't God put the firstborn of the Israelites to death as well? And the answer to that question, uh, we're going to continue to unpack in the incoming, uh, in the coming weeks as we look at Passover and uh, the Passover lamb, but the answer to that question, ultimately, it takes us to the cross of Jesus, where God's son, God's first son, his only begotten son, was put to death. This Friday, um, so the Friday before Easter, so next Sunday is Easter, Friday before that is Good Friday. It's the day where we celebrate the day um, when Jesus died, the day that Jesus went to the cross. And traditionally, Good Friday services, at least the ones that I've seen, you may have experienced differently, but are either at noon or 3 p.m. And the reason for that is because in the gospel accounts, we're told that after Jesus was nailed to the cross, for three hours there was darkness. From noon until 3 p.m., there was darkness over the whole land. For three hours, as Jesus hung from the cross, the absence of God, the punishment of sin became a physical reality. For three hours, as Jesus bore our sins and endured the punishment for the dark hearts of all of his people, so that your ultimate fate and my ultimate fate can be that of the Israelites dwelling in light rather than the Egyptians experiencing the darkness of pain and sin and death. Those things, pain, sin, death, do not have to be the ultimate reality for us. They don't have to be the final word. Instead, if, we are, if you're trusting in Christ, you can look forward to uh, the final day, the eternal day of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, which Revelation 21 describes. Um, Revelation 21, 22 through 25 describe this eternal day, saying, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And this city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, 
and there will be no night there. In Egypt, there was a morning when the sun did not rise, and one day there will be a night when the or an evening when the sun does not set. The picture painted here in Revelation is of of a world with no darkness, no sin, no death, no pandemics, no quarantine, nowhere for evil to hide, nowhere for darkness to sink its roots. In his uh, work, The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, I love the way that he describes the the way he describes it, he paints in the so in the story, Frodo and Sam are traveling through Mordor, right? This land of shadow. If you've seen the movies, right? They're taking the ring to throw it in Mount Doom, and they're traveling through the bad guy's land. It's this land covered in darkness, always covered in shadow and clouds. And at one point, they stop and they to take a break, and Frodo's sleeping, and Sam is keeping watch, and he looks up at the sky and he sees a break in the clouds. And through the clouds, he sees one star. And Tolkien says that of Sam that uh, in that moment, he had this thought that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Darkness, the shadow, that is our reality right now. The world that we live in is darkened by sin. It is tormented by pain and death. But those things are not the end of the story. The end of the story for God's people, which is really a new beginning, will be the eternal day of God's light shining on us forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with hearts that are naturally darkened by sin, but by your grace are being made whole again. Are, that you are shining the light of your, of your holiness and your presence and your grace on us, and we thank you for that. We ask this morning that you would shine your light on us. Help us to walk in the light as your people. Help us to bring light to a dark world and Lord, above all, we just we thank you that uh, you, you give us light, that you give us and have promised us your presence for all eternity. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, the light of the world. Amen.